Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Valerie and Ishmael to my Isco Munoz. It's Justin Peach. Good day to Ryan. Just throwing that intro in there just because I'm making people wonder, is it actually a compliment or not? Maybe I am trying to compliment you, Justin. Maybe I've turned over a new leaf and I'm trying to, you know, big you up a bit more before we start recording a podcast. Yeah, finally becoming a hype man for the most influential, most liked, most charismatic, most loved presenter on this uh, on this podcast. Yeah, Finally. yeah. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that. As I say, I've turned over a new leaf now where I'm positive, Ryan, and I'm complimenting Ooh. you heading into a pod. How, how are you, Justin? You're looking divine today. I'm looking divine. I'm, I, I'm feeling divine. I'm mm. feeling fantastic. Your um, skin is glowing. I, is it really? Yeah, yeah. See, everyone who's listening to this on their car on, on Monday morning, they're, they're going to be thinking, <laughs> I need to watch the YouTube show now. What? What's What's happened? <laughs> Nothing has happened. Ryan is just being nice. He's just yeah. being nice. It's new Ryan. It's nice Ryan. Every it's so often he'll come out. Wow. And, you know, he's just who I am now, Justin. Um, and then, may I say, even your hairline is not looking as sparse <laughs> as it usually is. <laughs> That's the transplant this podcast has paid for, thank God. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'm nice Ryan and this is Average Justin Peach. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast, the number one championship podcast. And thank you for joining us wherever you are. And we've got a jam-packed show for you here, ladies and gents, because, of course, we had that massive game from Friday night between Leeds and Leicester. Is the title race on? We'll discuss that very shortly. We'll also discuss the other promotion-chasing teams, particularly Southampton, after another loss for them. We've got the relegation battle to go through, which continues to get juicier and juicier. Of the bottom eight teams heading into this weekend, six of them won. That is unbelievable, isn't it? That sums up the championship in a nutshell, doesn't it? We'll also talk about what's going on with Elias Chair at QPR. Watford are reportedly set to sack a manager. What? And we've also got the polls, Simon Grayson take for late, and more footballers our listeners have met in strange places. So it's a cracking show we've got for you, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll kick things off with Friday night, where Leeds United declared that the title race is on after they beat Leicester 3-1 in a meeting between second and first. Three-word reviews here from Leeds fans. Armo says, called the Foxes. Super Leeds says, on cloud nine. And Football Ent says, winning the league. Leicester were a goal up until the 80th minute and they were absolutely cruising, Justin, completely in control. They should have been at least 3-0 up by the 80th minute. And then Leeds transformed into Pep's Barcelona. It was truly incredible, wasn't it? It was. It was such a good last well, final time. I mean, it was a good game overall because it was, it was a tactical battle. It was a classic tactical battle of two teams gunning for the top. You know, if you look at this Leicester side, for example, they had 40% possession. This Leicester side relinquished the ball. They played, they let Leeds play in front of them. And I think that was a really smart move from Maresca. But I think if any ground and any team um, are going to get the get their you know, tails up um, after equalising in the 80th minute, it's going to be Ella Road and it's going to be Leeds. You just got to look at the atmosphere yeah. after the game to sort of realise that belting out. I predict a riot from Kaiser Chiefs was absolutely incredible. Um, it was such a good atmosphere post game. But you are right; they they turned, they turned, they completely transformed. And I think there's only one ground in the in the country that can do that in the final ten minutes. And that's Ellen Road, especially against the league leaders, because Leeds were sensational. I thought it was a good game overall. I think Leeds created a decent amount of chances for it to at least be a draw, but it wasn't quite coming until the final ten minutes. And he got a bit of luck with Hermerson, um, the ball going under Hermerson, I think for the for the free kick, and then the the, the deflection from Archie Gray. But Leeds thoroughly deserved, uh, you know, the, the win just for that final ten minutes alone. It was superb. Yeah, I imagine it was quite a messy night in Leeds <laughs> on Friday. Um, I'm surprised that you think um, Leeds 
possibly deserved a draw, Justin, based off the first 80 minutes, because I was looking at this thinking Leeds just hadn't turned up and Leicester kept being given these golden chances, particularly for Pats and Daka, who produced one of the worst attempts from a one-on-one situation that you'll ever possibly see. And then Leicester had that goal disallowed incorrectly, I might add. And the more moments like that happened, the more it made me think Leicester may live to regret this. And they did. But even then, Leeds just didn't offer anything. And out of nowhere, Conor Roberts scores. Archie Gray gets a deflected goal. And Leicester were just completely shell-shocked by that point, weren't they? And it was game over. And that was even before Leeds scored again later on. So a really frustrating one for Leicester. And look, this was a chance to essentially seal the title. And... They blew it. And now it's wide open again, isn't it? So with that being said, Justin, are we on? Is the title race alive? What do you think? I'm going to say two things. I think the title race is on. I I, I absolutely throw to you. I'm, I'm selling the championship here. There is a title race folding out in front of us. I still think Leicester will get over the line, but Leeds, Leeds are going to push them all the way. They, they really are. And he may be even Ipswich as well, but on this, on, this, on, on this game alone, you've got to back Leeds because they've been fantastic over the last five, six weeks. They've been absolutely sensational. And this game, I think, serves as a reminder of just how much quality they've got. I mean, I know you say that they weren't particularly great for the first 80 minutes, but I thought Jorginho Ruta was fantastic um, throughout the game. It was, a, it was a constant menace. Connor Roberts is, you know, a player who Leeds fans are starting to love already and no one's really surprised by that. And if you look at how easily Leicester wobbled in that final 10 minutes, um, you've got to suggest that maybe mentally they were impacted by this result. They were impacted by the intensity Leeds came out with at that final, literally that final 10 minutes. It can really, really um, psychologically hit you, psychologically hit you. Um, and that could that could really impact results over the next few games. Um, but for me, I think Leeds, yeah, they're going to push them. They're going to push them. And, and yeah, they, they, um, they, they've made the title race a thing now when, when actually it looked like Leeds, Leicester are going to run away at a canter. Yeah, well, you're right. They have made it a thing now. And before it just looked like Leicester were going to trounce off with it into the sunshine and never to be seen again. But you have got to say at this stage, it is on. The fact that Leicester's lead has been halved from 12 points to six in the space of a week is obviously significant. And hopefully we've got an interesting final 12 games of the season. So it is on right now. I will be honest. I'd still be surprised if Leicester didn't win it. Yes, back-to-back losses is massive and Leeds are absolutely flying right now. But six points is still a huge gap at this stage. Prior to the last two games, since the start of December, Leicester had only dropped points in three games. Mm -hmm. Two against Ipswich and one against Coventry when they were down to 10 men for most of the game. So you look at their remaining 12 games, it's difficult to see where they're going to drop many points because they played Leicester twice now. They've played Ipswich twice now. They've still got Southampton to come. But apart from that... Who else are they possibly going to drop points to? So, yes, the title race is back on. I think Leeds can run it close, but I'd still be massively shocked if Leicester didn't win the league. It would be a gigantic collapse if they didn't. Yeah, whether it's a collapse or not, I don't know. Uh, I think it's got to be just. It's got to be a collapse, isn't it? They've gone from a twelve-point lead, and if they don't win the league from that stage, then it is a collapse, isn't it? <laughs> I just don't know if the collapse is the right word. I think Leicester have been absolutely fantastic throughout the season. They really have. They've been so good with results. It's just whether or not their performances can out. Um, you know, they, they do start. They do start games slow. They do start. Um, you know, they struggle to get into gear sometimes. But they got a lot of quality. And sometimes, you know, if we look at it now, quality, the quality of those individuals might be running out of gas towards the end of the season. Um, whereas Leeds, I think, have got 
more gears to go, which is quite which is quite frightening. And I think they're, they they get into gear much quicker and easier than Leicester. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a, a collapse as such. Um, I just think it's you know. Leicester are going for a patch at the moment and Leeds are closing that gap. And I think it's more so a compliment to Leeds than it would be a criticism to Leicester. Yeah. Well, let's give Leeds their full dues because, you know, they had to get, they had to win this game, didn't they, to keep the title race alive. And that's exactly what they've done. And I mean, the scene of Archie Gray running away (laughs) when that goal went in, of course, took a couple of deflections on its way in, but that was just glorious. And I mean, I saw so many people saying on Friday night that this is the championship in a nutshell. This is why it is, in many people's eyes, one of the most entertaining leagues in the world, obviously, is in our eyes, Justin, for me and you. It's the best league in the world. But I think this was a perfect indicator of how beautiful and incredible and unpredictable the championship is. Because it it was just a game that you could not take your eyes off, wasn't it? Well, you, you talk about Leicester being in control for 80 minutes and literally at a flip of a switch, it, you know, the game turns on its head and it's in Leeds' favour. And that's exactly what happens in the Championship. Uh, I'm not going to criticise the Premier League. Um, but, Do you it. Know, criticise uh, the Premier League, Justin. Oh, fuck the Premier League. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> screw the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. What a disgusting league the Premier League is. Um, but uh, games are a lot, they're a lot more predictable than, than that. Whereas you know, here you've got Leicester uh, several points ahead in the, t- in the title race, controlling a game in the 80th minute and then boom, game changes. It's, it's, exactly, it's exactly what you get in the Championship. And it's all credit to Leeds because um, you know, to, to not be in control of the game from a chances point of view, for them to switch it on um, is, is remarkable. And that's why the atmosphere was so damn good. Yeah, well, you say we shouldn't criticise the Premier League. I completely disagree with that, Justin. And the thing is, as well, both these teams could very well be in the Premier League next season. And it's very unlikely that Leeds, for example, will have a night where they have so many emotions like they did on Friday night if they do get to the Premier League. Because, you know, ultimately, and many clubs are finding this, that the journey is much more enjoyable than the actual destination. And... You know, there's going to be loads of more twists and turns over the coming weeks as we wrap up the championship season. And, you know, you've got to really savour these moments when they do happen when you're a promotion chasing team like these two are. But let's talk about the promotion race outside of Leeds and Leicester, Justin, and Southampton lost again. They've gone from going 25 games unbeaten to losing three in four. The latest at home to Millwall, who won 2-1. Three-word review here from Steve. Super Neil Harris. Paul says Kleenex for Martin. Um, Yeah, we had quite a few Millwall fans saying Super Neil Harris. And look, he's the talk of the town now, isn't he? Because it is worth saying Neil Harris has already beaten Southampton this season with Gillingham in the Carabao Cup. And he admitted after the game that he used the same game plan in both games. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff from Neil Harris, but an excellent result for the wall. And this was more like it, wasn't it? Because this is the Millwall we all know and love. Well, you and me know and love anyway, Justin. And I think maybe that's perhaps what the Millwall fans want to see as well. I think things got a bit stodgy with Rowett and naturally so. I think the expectations grew higher under him and uh, and evidently, yeah, evidently it wasn't going to quite work out but here they've got to they've got to reset because they've got to avoid relegation and Neil Harris is coming in he's a leader um, he knows what the club needs and uh, he, he's going to deliver that <laughs> that that comment about the game plan being saying honestly has tickled me because not only I think is it a bit of an indictment to Southampton that both game plans have worked 
effectively. But it's also credit to Neil Harris for having the balls to go out and just do exactly the same thing. I mean, if it's worked, it's worked. But a huge credit to Millwall. Like you said, this was this was exactly the type of Millwall you'd expect to see. I think I saw that Southampton had an 80% possession. Millwall didn't want the ball. They happy just sat behind it. Um, and that's the type of Millwall-like performance you need against a top side. In, um, and it's exactly what Neil Harris said after the game. It was, it was a Millwall-like performance against a top side. And I think it's further evidence of him getting it, you know, understanding it the Millwall way than, than perhaps why Joe Edwards was probably appointed at the wrong time. But less of that, you know, Millwall deserved the win because of how well they defended. Same principles as Hall. Take the chances in the first half, defending the second half. And it it worked. It really did. It really, really did. And, you know, we were joking in, was it Thursday or Friday's episode? I can't remember which one it was about, you know, Neil Harris knowing the club in quotation marks. Yeah. But this is the perfect case of where knowing the club in quotation marks actually works because Millwall are such a unique club and they like to play the football a certain way and that's what they're all about. Look, they battled, they kept it tight at the back and took their chances when they came and sure, they rode their luck a bit at times. Matthias Sarkic in the Millwall goal had to make some unbelievable stops but that grittiness to grind out a result and the togetherness to fight for each other just wasn't there under Joe Edwards and these are the principles that you associate with Millwall and that's why you sometimes need to go back to basics with someone like Neil Harris and obviously they don't have as talented a squad as Southampton do but you have, if you have a manager who can organise you and rally the players to work harder than the opposition you've always got a good chance as Millwall found out here and suddenly their chances of staying up are looking a lot more encouraging than they were this time last week mm-hmm. aren't they so Millwall move up a place to 21st one point above the relegation zone still a lot of work to do in the relegation battle but we'll talk more about that in a short while but another big blow for Southampton and their promotion hopes they're now five points behind Leeds and Ipswich three word review here from IW Saint absolutely fucking pathetic and Stones says autos not happening they've just become so sloppy haven't they Southampton mm-hmm. before they were controlling games and now they're making silly mistakes sure they've got all the possession in the world but that doesn't necessarily mean you've got control of a game and that's what we've seen multiple times in these last four games and defensively they've been sloppy haven't they they're making mistakes that they just weren't doing before and not taking their chances up the other end. What did you make of a Russell Martin's actions after the game, Justin? He didn't shake the hand of Millwall goalkeeper Matthias Sarkic and walked straight past him before going over to the referees to have a moan. What, what, what did you make of that? Uh, two things. I think the first thing is Russell Martin is typically a bad loser. He's, he's always yeah. a bit spiky when, when they lose. And fair play, he's he's passionate, man. But also I think it's full credit to Millwall because it's exactly type, the type of performance that sends managers into complete uh, aggression, um, passive aggressiveness and well, everything he's rattled, else. Isn't he? He's rattled, Justin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's what Millwall need to do. They need to rattle people. They need to rattle teams. And if Millwall keep rattling teams, they will rise up the league because that's what Millwall do. That's exactly the evidence you need that Millwall are turning a corner when your piss is boiled and you've angered a manager... That's the tick in the box. Yeah, never a good idea to ignore a player's handshake, Russell Martin. Learn that from Mick Beale. <laughs> um, Justin, I've got a question for you. And it's quite a big question. And I don't think I'm getting carried away by asking this. Are Southampton's automatic promotion hopes over already? Now, that may sound like a hasty thing to say, but if we're so strong on Leeds, being able to yeah. you know, challenge Leicester then surely that will rule Southampton out because there are only room for two teams in the top two, stating the bleeding obvious. But if we think Leeds will run Leicester close, 
surely Southampton won't catch Leeds at this stage. Yeah, this is the worry, isn't it? I think this is why this defeat was so was so poor. And I no disrespect to Millwall, um, but you're coming up against a team who are low in the league. You need to collect three points, especially at home. And, and Southampton blew that opportunity and that opportunity was needed because they've been dropping points more regularly. Um, and it's those slow starts that are really costing them uh, in the first half of games and the sloppiness of defenders and not having Flynn Downs inside either. Um, and and they, these are key things as to, as to why Southampton, I think, have, have dropped off. Um, whether or not their automatic promotion hopes are over already, I don't know. They've, they're relying heavily on Leeds dropping points and they're relying heavily on a Daniel Farker team who are typically very good at peaking at the right time. You look at his, any, any of his Norwich teams, they peak at very good times. Um, especially in the championship or, or actually just in the championship so you're asking Leeds to drop points and this Leeds team you know just looking at that last 10 minutes and the crowd and everything they're believing again and when they believe they're a frightening side to stop um, so for me I think if Leeds drop points Southampton need to convince you that they're going to pick up points at the minute they're not so on that basis you'd, you'd suggest that they might be over but there are plenty of games to play they're just relying on other people now which is not a comfortable position to be in no. Well, as we've been saying, the standards of the top four are just so strong this season. And as we were alluding to in Friday's episode, back-to-back losses are the equivalent of five losses for the rest of the league. And it's funny how quickly things can change, isn't it? Because at the start of last week, Southampton looked like the team to beat in the mm-hmm. automatic promotion race. And it says a lot about the relentlessness of the top four, that all it takes is three losses in four, and it's suddenly looking pretty bleak for their chances. I mean, the obvious problem that Southampton have is you're asking Leeds to slow down quite considerably and even if that does happen you've still got Ipswich who would have to slow down as well and even if that does happen you're relying on this dip in form for Southampton to be over and done with and for them to have a miraculous final 12 games so this is what I mean and this is why I think the question is a valid one you're relying on multiple intangibles here which now make it look unlikely that they will get in the top two, which is, yeah. you know, it's quite a drastic thing to say, but I don't think it's something we're getting carried away with here. Well, all you've got to, all you've got to bring into the equation is they're just relying on other teams now. You've got to take control of your own your own destiny if you want to get deep about it. And that's exactly what Southampton haven't done. I do think losing Flynn Downs against Huddersfield 10 minutes into the game hasn't been ideal, but they've got a good enough squad to be able to fill that void and they simply haven't. You know, they spent money on Shea Charles, for example. He's not quite worked out the way he should have. Um, and that midfield depth is, is, is a little bit of a problem in terms of that role that Flynn Downs plays. And, um, you know, key players coming at the right times. You know, probably going to go up to Ipswich, but Keith Moore's coming for Ipswich, and he's been fantastic. You know, you got to peak at the right times, and that's what I'm saying. And maybe we've seen Southampton peak, and they're they're just going to become a little bit inconsistent and sort of sleepwalk into the playoffs, which is not what you want to do. You want to get you want to gather momentum, but like I said, you're relying on a Leeds team to slow down, and they don't. They're a runaway train at the moment, and then, like I said, it's a frightening prospect because runaway trains are typically very hard to stop. Yeah, they usually end up by crashing, don't they? Yeah. I don't think Southampton will crash, but it's um, it's uh, it's not going very well at all, is it? A team who it is very, going very well for is Ipswich. They made it four wins in a row by beating Birmingham 3-1. A three-word review here from Reese. I see autos. Harvey says not going away. And Stuart says tractor changing gear. <laughs> and this was Ipswich at their best. I mean, the only disappointments here were that they didn't go ahead earlier, didn't win it by more and that they conceded. Now that I say that out loud, that sounds like quite a lot, but it's not really because it's just another very good win. And the Ipswich are going up tractor is purring once again, Justin. And one of the reasons (laughs) for that is the form of Amari Hodginson, who got a goal in this game. He's got a goal and an assist in each of his last five games. He's 
mostly been restricted to sub appearances this season and hadn't contributed a huge amount, but he's now arrived at the party and he's brought the Jaeger. He's brought the Jaeger, yes. He's brought the diesel for the tractor and that's exactly what it needed at the right time, isn't it? That's, that's what it needed. Um, no, I've got nothing but praise for Hutchinson because he has been fantastic and Sarmiento as well scoring is, is huge because I think these, these players hit in form at the right time. Just talking about Southampton not having that. Um, you know, having Hutchinson and, and Sarmiento scoring and having that in your arsenal is just ridiculous, isn't it? Because they're good, they're good talented youngsters and you've got Conor Chaplin on a score sheet where Burns has hit for him, Kiefer Moore with his flick on, oh... Keep him all with a flick on for a, for a goal for this, this is what Justin Peach loves to see. It's, it's what the world needs. You need more big number nines doing that. This, this whole <laughs> technical tiki-taka that we're seeing develop. England aren't going to win a World Cup playing like that, ladies and gentlemen. Shit out it. That's what gets you trophies. And Preach. that's what... <laughs> And that's what's, <laughs> that's what's pushing Ipswich up the league, although quite not the case. Um, Get Andy Carroll yeah. back. <laughs> is he doing one in France? He might have been. I know he scored a couple of goals. Um, but no, this is Ipswich. This, this was Ipswich at their best. They were fantastic here. I know Birmingham... Um, you know, don't don't have the usual, uh, you know, well, don't know Tony Mowbray in the dugout, etc. But you know, this was it, which at their best, they were fantastic. They went a goal down on a stroke of half time that can change the complexion of a game, but they didn't allow that to, and they kept going, kept going, kept going. And I think the only thing you can criticise them uh, about in this game is they weren't further ahead in the first half, as you mentioned, and then they had to leave it until the last ten minutes in that. But it just goes to speak about the character of this side. They're, they're a fantastic outfit. Yeah, well, back on Hutchinson, he, he he is on loan from Chelsea and he's someone who's really highly rated there. So there was a lot of interest in signing him on loan from championship clubs and it seemed like quite a big deal when Ipswich managed to get him in. Now, in the first half of the season, he was mostly restricted to substitute appearances and look, he had his moments. He looked tricky, but he didn't have a huge amount of end product. Now he's starting to show that and that's incredibly exciting because Ipswich have been exceptional going forwards already this season. And if you add in the exciting talent like Hutchinson coming to the fore, Kiefer Moore as well, that's even better. So and it's shaping up to be a really exciting final 12 games for Ipswich. Hutchinson celebrations as well. I mean... I'm always a big fan of anyone who is willing to do the old somersaults, backflips, that kind of thing. And Hutchinson, he's, he, he can really do it well, can't he? It's very rare nowadays, isn't it? It is. Like, Mainly because managers, many... I imagine, will say, stop doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're risking your Achilles doing that. But, you know, if you go your heart back to the days of Lamar, Loire, Loire, and I think that's the only player that can jump to my head right now. Nanny? Nanny, yeah, but his was just one flip, and I don't think it was a clean flip. No, 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 no. He used to do a couple of uh, like cartwheels and backflips and what have you. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Uh, gonna have to double check this. But I know Johnny Russell used to front flip, mm. um, but I think a backflip's harder to execute. So fair play, Hutchinson. You're scoring goals. You're in form, and you're flipping as well. And that's yeah. that's great. Flipping great. Um, well, look, let's talk about the promotion race, Justin, because, you know, all this talk in the promotion race has been about leaders' form and can they catch Leicester? Don't underestimate Ipswich Town in this automatic promotion race is the message I would say because they're level on points with Leeds, which is something everyone seems to forget. And they've been excellent in this four-game winning run. So here's the warning for you, ladies and gentlemen. Underestimate the Ipswich are going up tractor at your peril. I'm saying that to everyone who's listening, and particularly you, Justin Peach. You've been quiet for weeks. 
You've been quiet for weeks by lip switch. I know they've been stewing the, the last few games. The tractor games. has been going stealthy. That's what it's went, been doing. No, it's, it's had its MOT, hasn't it? It's had its MOT in service. It's been passed and now it's getting up and running again. Fair play, fair play. I'm not... Listen, listen, you've created this narrative that I don't rate Ipswich, that I dislike Ipswich. Did I create I, it I, or frankly, did you create it? No, 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 no. I have not created it. You, you, Your clever journalism broadcasting skills have created this narrative and it's just not true, ladies and gents. It's just not true. Oh, there's nothing else you got to say on that. Are you no. going to talk about Ipswich's promotion chances? There you go again. Switching the switching it back on I, me. I, I asked you, <laughs> are Ipswich a genuine contender in this promotion race? And you've you've blanked me and just accused me of, you know, being being a twat to you. <laughs> well, I don't have to accuse you. You are. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I don't <laughs> underestimate them. I, I will agree with that. But again, they're relying on leads dropping points. But if they've got momentum, they've got character, they've got quality, they've got all the skills in the box apart from a tidy defence. And that's what Southampton don't have. And it's what Leicester and Leeds have. So that's all I'm going to throw out there. Okay. so Make up your narrative from Well, that. he's keeping his cards close to his chest, ladies and gentlemen. So he sounds like he needs a bit of convincing. So I'll, I'll give you a bit of convincing, Justin. First of all, there seems to be a lot of parallels to last season for Ipswich. The flying start, the slump around January time, and then they went on to win 13 from 15 games from the middle of February until the end of the season. You can't rule out a similar ending to this season because of Ipswich's next nine games, only one of them is against a side in the top 10. And we know they can sustain a long spell of form. You just have to look at the first three months of the season to see that. So while Leeds may be looking in the distance at Leicester and saying, you know what? we can catch them in my view they should be more concerned about the side level with them right now and in my view there's still a good chance that they could outdo two of them and go up automatically i tell you what if they get promoted being able to do that being able to outrun teams um you know and, and overturn you know, going behind and, and do that consistently then fair play they are probably going to be one of the best sides that i've seen at this level because that's a very that's a harder thing to do than keep clean sheets to be honest with you very exciting 12 final games isn't it that's shaping up in the championship a quick word on Birmingham Justin this was their first game without Tony Abre he's of course temporarily stepped down for medical reasons his assistant Mark Venus was in charge for this one Justin of course Mobes's health is the most important thing here and we once again wish him all the best in his recovery Birmingham say he's going to be absent for up to eight weeks it's only 10 weeks left of the season mm. so I really, really hope they don't get dragged into trouble while he's away because that would be shit, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, it would be crap. Not only because, you know, we've we've got a lot of respect for Birmingham City this season, minus the Wayne Rooney saga and what they did with John Eustace and whatnot. Um, but we also have got a lot of love for Tony Mowbray and obviously Mark Venus as well as a, as a duo. They are a fantastic coaching team and they've had success in a lot of places. It would be frustrating if they get dragged into trouble but I don't think they will because they're built on those principles that Mowbray and Venus have put together um, if, if anything it's probably just going to slow down what we expected of them when Mowbray took over you know, I was, I would have seen a, a, a well I would have envisaged a push at the table to sort of lower mid-table to mid-table that might not happen but I think they're too good their home form's pretty decent um, I think they're capable of picking up more points away from home and they probably will do They'll probably solid be, be yeah a lot more solid than, than they have been. So I don't think they will get dragged into trouble. No, I, I don't think they will either. It's If Tony Mowbray was there fully fit and healthy, then I would say quite comfortably they will stay up. This has just put a bit of doubt in my mind, but you'd have thought that with Mowbray still giving in input um, while he's away 
and you know Venus, who's been his long-time assistant, running things, they should still be all right. I just hope that it doesn't have too much of an effect because it would be a massive, massive shame, wouldn't it? Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the relegation battle and football as our listeners have met in strange, strange places. Back to the second tier podcast, and it's now time for us to check out how our second tier multiple with SBK got on, which included our game of the week as well as Justin and I's two bankers from Friday. We had Ipswich, Leeds, and Sunderland. All to win, my pick of Sunderland was the only one to let us down this week, so a close ish one, but no luck. We're getting closer though. I think. Uh, ever, um, ever closer. Yes. We'll be back with another multiple in this coming Friday's preview show with SBK. And fingers crossed, we get a treble in. Anyway, now it's time for us to talk about footballers. Our listeners have bet in strange places. This is something that's been an ongoing theme in recent episodes, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And this is another cracking round. I'm sorry that we can't go through all of them, but these are some of the best ones we've had sent in. This is from Alfie McAnally. He says, hi, chaps. Love the show. Out drinking one night, my friends and I were surprised to see three Ipswich Town players out boisterously celebrating in vodka revolutions in Ipswich after a one-all draw against a 10-man Blackburn. None other than Dow Murphy came out to the smoking area and instantly took a shine to the garishly pink women's blazer that one of my male friends was sporting that night as a forfeit. We told Murph the origin story of said blazer, telling him we actually brought it in a charity shop earlier that day. And he drunkenly went on to claim he used to own one similar and ours was in fact probably his old blazer that he donated to charity. We asked him for a picture, and in return he said yes, but only if he can wear the blazer in the photo. He then subsequently walked off with said blazer, never to be seen again for the rest of the night. Oh, wow. <laughs> a, a, a championship legend turned thief, taking back what yeah. is his. He, must his look, he, he saw it and just thought of all the good times he had in that blazer, or the, yeah. the golden boots he won. I wonder if he's it. still got it, whether he's still got that blazer or whether it's just ended up in another Ipswich charity shop. But either way, thank you, Alfie, for that email. Um, this is from Hayden Shoemaker. He said, I saw Ashley Westwood sitting alone in the front row at a college ba- uh, baseball game last weekend wearing a Burnley sweatshirt, went up and asked him about his new MLS career and said he loves it. Love the pod. Keep it going, boys. Thank you, Hayden. This is from Joe. He's been in touch and says, I once ran into Titus Bramble in a toilet in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> what a, a name. A, a good, Titus Bramble is like the perfect, you know. Yeah, you know it's the balance it's the balance you need between yeah. obscure slash actually well known mid two thousands Premier League exactly footballer. For, and also an absolute calamity of a footballer as well. But had a very successful career. Doesn't make yeah. any sense. And now he's living it large in Abu Dhabi. Thank you for another round of a footballers you've met in strange places dear listener if you want to send them into secretarypod at gmail.com i'm sure we will give you a shout out on the show in thursday's episode anyway let's discuss the relegation battle just in the bottom eight teams heading into this weekend six of them won so it's been utter chaos down at the bottom and qpr are out of the relegation zone that's for the first time since September. It's after they beat Rotherham 2-1. They came from a goal down in this one, but ended up winning fairly comfortably eventually. But out of the bottom three for the first time in five months, one loss in seven. It's looking very good for QPR survival hopes, isn't it? 
It absolutely is. And I've said this for the last, I don't know, four or five weeks that they're a team in form, Ryan. Team in form. They are now. They are now. You said they're in form after like three games. Yes. Yes. And that's form, especially to a team who have been used to losing. (laughs) Okay. You've got to credit several factors of this game. They've come from behind. They've defended well. They've created quite a few chances. And you know, Chris Willett was back to his best with that XG buster that he scored as well. Beautiful goal from him. Um, and I think things are clicking nicely for them at, at the right time. I think it was always going to take a little bit of a, an adjustment period for Sifuentes and we saw an initial bounce and then a drop-off, a huge drop-off. And then they're back going again. And it's happening at the right time because they're, te- they're putting teams out of them into it, like Stoke, yeah. like like Swansea, like Millwall. You know, their form over the last few weeks has done that. Um, and that's full credit to Sifuentes for turning it around because they, they looked like a doomed side. They really did. Yeah, well, you're right. It's quite the contrast of just over a month ago where they won one point from six games and it looked like the Marty Magic had begun to wear off, but he's doing a great job. Looking at it from an underlying data perspective, they're so much better at the back and admittedly Rotherham isn't the toughest test they'll face, but they restrict teams to way fewer chances than they did earlier in the season and that's something they'll have to keep doing. But look, each win QPR gets is massive because... There are plenty of other teams who are struggling to pick up anything right now. Whether they stay up or not is almost impossible to say at this stage. They've got two very hard games coming up in Leicester away and West Brom at home. Then they've got Middlesbrough and Sunderland, which are still tricky. Then they've got a run of four games against sides who are all just five points above them before their final four games, which are all against sides in the top 10. So on the face of it, a difficult ending to the season, but they've got a really good chance, which they would have they've got absolutely tore your arm off for this time last month, wouldn't they? Uh, QPR's Elias Chair has been sentenced to a year in prison after being found guilty in Belgium of attacking a lorry driver with a rock and leaving him in a critical condition. The incident is said to have happened in France in 2020. Chair is expected to appeal against the verdict as the legal process continues. In a statement, QPR said the legal proceeding is yet to reach its conclusion. As such, the club will be making no further comment at this stage. Chair did play for QPR against Rotherham on Saturday. Now, There seems to be a lot of misunderstanding about the situation from QPR fans. It seems like a large number believe the news is fake news, for the lack of a better term, because of QPR's statement and the fact he played this weekend. But that's not the case. The reason he's not in a prison cell right now is because the legal process is still ongoing and because of the expected appeal. So the question is, what happens next? Well, first and foremost, the most important thing is justice is served because... You know, it's easy to look at this from a football perspective, but Chair has been found guilty of a really vicious attack. And if that verdict is upheld, he has to be punished for it. And then if we do look at this from a football perspective, the question is when the jail term will start if the appeal is rejected. Now, I will admit, I don't know how the Belgian justice system works, but in the UK, appeals are usually reviewed within a few months. So will Chair actually miss any games this season? Who's to say? Obviously, just to reiterate, we know that's not the most important thing here, but that's what people listening will be wondering. And if he is unavailable for an extended period of time this season, Justin, and potentially a lot of next season, that's a huge blow for QPR, isn't it? Yeah, significant blow. Significant blow because of the talent he's got as a, as a footballer and a player. And I think a team like QPR who clearly don't have a lot of, you know, a deep financial uh, backing to go out and recruit and uh, replace a player of his quality. They're always going to find it difficult if um, if that you know, if said player is unavailable. So I think from their perspective, 
they'll be hoping that the appeal process you know longs out that queue that you know, that chair can be involved until the end of the season uh, and as you say there is a human side to the story that everyone needs to consider and that's the important thing but from a footballing perspective QPR need him on the pitch and they're going to hope that he's yeah he, he sees out the season yeah yeah you, you're spot on Justin you're spot on and um, we could talk more about this story but I think from a legal perspective it's best from our perspective our our you know, points to just stay mm-hmm. clear of it for now and we'll just keep a keen eye on what happens next. Sad to hear, by the way, of passing the passing of QPR legend Stan Bowles at the age of 75, made 315 appearances for Rangers, scored 97 goals. We, of course, send our best wishes to his family and friends and QPR say they'll be making a fitting tribute to him in due course. A quick word on Rotherham, Justin, who are as good as down now, aren't they? Only three teams in championship history have won fewer than 30 points in a season. Rotherham are on 19. <laughs> We're 34 games into the season now. The fewest points ever won by a championship side is just 23, by the way. So, look, based off these stats, Rotherham could go down with one of the worst points tallies in championship history. So, bearing that in mind... Is this Rotherham side one of the worst teams we've ever seen at championship level? Because I think it's a perfectly fair question to ask. It's a fair question and I'm going to give you a very blunt answer. Yes, they are 100% are one of the worst teams I've seen at this level. I think recruitment-wise, they... um, they don't really have an identity. It just feels like they wing it. You've only got to look to the summer, you know, the likes of Cafu, Arvin Apia, uh, Grant Hall, Andre Green, Daniel Ayala. It's literally just wing it recruitment. It's pulling up the shortlist and seeing who's on a free transfer and going after them or whoever's available for loan. Teams who come up from League One, Plymouth, they invest in young players. Sunderland did the same when they came up. So too do Coventry. You go back down to League One, Peterborough playing attacking football, clear identity. Barnsley have a high press, etc., etc. Teams in League One coming up with small budgets do have a plan. Rotherham don't. They just wing it. And that is why it's caught up with them. Um, They're a poor side. Probably this is one of the poorest sides I've seen at this level. Not very good at all. Yeah, well, I'm not going to disagree with anything you said there, Justin. It's strange because... While they have been crap, it doesn't feel to me like they've been substantially worse than other te- other sides mm. we've seen finish bottom in recent seasons. I think the reason it feels like that, though, is because there haven't been many horror show performances. They lost to Watford 5-0 back in November, but otherwise they've had five games where they've lost by three goals, and then that's it. So not really many batterings in there. However... You can count the number of impressive performances they've had on one hand. It's pretty ridiculous, really, that they've managed to get points against Ipswich, Leeds and Southampton this season, by the way. But look, more often than not, they've just rolled over three wins all season. It's absolutely pathetic, isn't it? And I think the, the, the fewest wins in a championship season is four. And as things stand, I think Rotherham could break that record. And look, Matt Taylor was massively struggling before he got sacked. Liam Richardson has done absolutely nothing to improve things since he's come in. So it's been a pretty sorry season. And I think you have to say they are one of the worst teams we've ever seen at championship level, just purely because of the results. They're going down without much fight at all, aren't they? So QPR out of the bottom three for the first time since September. The side who's dropped in are Stoke City. So they lost 2-1 away at Cardiff. Three word review here from Stoke fan Re League One tour. Kieran says, no fight, no passion. Not three words, but I'll let him off. It's been a tough weekend. Um, Stoke were really the big losers of the weekend, weren't they? Because not only were they the only team um, 
who well, not only were they the team who's dropped into the bottom three, but they were the only team who were between 17th and 23rd heading into this weekend not to win. And it's now six losses in seven, just three wins since October. Technical director sacked this week. Stoke are in serious, serious trouble, aren't they? But mm-hmm. how do they get out of it? There doesn't seem to be many signs of it getting better, Justin. How do Stoke get out of this mess? This, this, um, what's that thing you used to do in a bowl? You used to swill it round and it just became, create a whirlpool. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Stoke are at the moment. They're just a whirlpool going okay. round until the, until the bottle's completely empty. And unfortunately, it's, it's caught up with them. And again, you're looking at the players, the players poor, the clubs run poorly. Fans aren't interested in going to you know the, the um, home games. You look at the, the the attendances and how empty the Bet Three Six Five. It's an absolute travesty because when the place is rumbling and going, it is a great atmosphere to be. But sadly, at the moment, there just seems to be no direction. There's nothing at the club. There's nothing remotely interesting about the club at the moment, other than the story of them hurtling down to League One quickly. I've seen a lot of people suggest um, Stephen Schumacher should be sacked as well and go and get Tony Pulis. You're going to find yourself in exactly the same position in three or four months' time, ladies and gents, because this Stoke team, until there are serious changes at the top, nothing's going to happen. You're going to be in the same position in 12 months' time. Are there actually people saying get Pulis in? Yes. The thing is, it's very hard to... um, to interpret tone on Twitter, whether people are being sarcastic, especially Stoke fans who have every right to be. But I've seen so many people bring out Tony Pulis' name. And look, I will love it. I will absolutely love it if that is the case. But come on, come on, give Schumacher a bit of leeway. Come on. I mean, I didn't realise that was a genuine suggestion from people, but I would love to see it. I mean, things were pretty miserable under Alex Neal, but things are arguably worse now, aren't they? Because the atmosphere at the club is just abysmal and Stoke fans are sick to the back teeth. In fairness, from an underlying data perspective, they haven't been awful. They're just so wasteful in front of goal and then keep dropping clangers at the back. But look, the results speak for themselves and Stephen Schumacher must be massively regretting this move. He had a nice cushy job at Plymouth and he's now getting pelters every single week. And on the other hand, Stoke are probably massively regretting appointing Schumacher as well because things don't seem to have got better under him. But look, you, you joke about Pulis potentially coming in, Justin. Do you think it's time to knock this Schumacher experiment on the head? Because it, he, he's not really looking like he's going to get things going again. I tell you what, if I was a Stoke fan, I would just say, I, do, I don't care anymore. And I think that's where <laughs> Stoke fans are at. And even even me, even now I'm saying that and you're asking me that question, you want me to give you an answer that creates a bit of debate. But I'm at a point where I just don't care. Because Stephen Schumacher, for me, was the, the man who was going to come in and change it. He was the book of the trend. But maybe Stoke need a controller. Maybe Stoke needs someone like a, you know, the Neil Warnock, Tony Pulis, the old school, Steve Bruce, the old school who comes in and manages the football club because the, the football club cannot manage itself. They tried the head coach model and it's not worked. It hasn't worked. It is an absolute mess. It is a, a pitiful mess of a football club at the moment. And I think everyone outside of Stoke will agree with that. And maybe Stoke fans will as well. Um, so I'm going to say to you, like, I, I think Schumacher should keep his job purely on the basis that I don't think he's been given a fair whack at it because of how bad badly run the club is. It, you know, is. They're one of the worst club, run clubs in the division. And that's they're well financially backed, but they do have no idea what to do with their money. It's like giving a toddler £100. Don't do it. They need, they need managing. Yeah. 
By the way, you mentioned Neil Warnock. I would bet so much money right now that if he was available, Stoke would be pressing the Neil Warnock button right now. I can almost guarantee it because it just seems like that would be a very Stoke thing to do. Um, a poorly run club, you know, getting the get out of jail free card, which is Neil Warnock. Speaking of a Stoke managers, Alex Neil is reportedly open to returning to Sunderland. Do you think of that, Justin? Yeah. <laughs> Never go back, especially <laughs> especially when you've spurned spurned a former partner so badly as Alex Neal did walking out in the club three weeks into last season. Incredible. Um, I, I don't know if it's true, but the ball's on Alex Neal to suggest that that could happen. Maybe he's watched a documentary. Maybe he's watched something until I die and gone, you know what? They were good times. Yeah, he's looked, at, that. He's looked at the documentary and thought now is a good time to let Sunderland fans go. Oh, look at the good times. Look how good they were. Um, a, good, a good win for Cardiff, though. They've been in awful form themselves. I'm not sure I would declare at the end of that form just yet, but I was a bit worried they could be looking over their shoulder if this form continued. You'd hope they would be all right now. Um, Sheffield Wednesday made it back to back wins by beating Bristol City 2-1. It means they're now just three points from safety and continues to be a remarkable turnaround from the Owls. Be interesting to see whether they can keep the ball rolling. Yes, <laughs> SW, sorry, I'm laughing at Justin's face. He loves the rural puns. Um, SWFC Aaron's three-word review, massive three points. And Justin, we've given nothing but praise for Danny Rollers, Sheffield Wednesday manager. Do you think he's a genuine contender for manager of the season, whether he keeps them up or not? Uh, I think if he keeps them up, yes. I think if they go down, I don't think you can really suggest that because he's got to be a big achievement to to win manager season, and it is usually given to a title winner or you know a manager who's got the got a team into the playoffs and uh, against the odds. Now, Sheffield Wednesday, if they finish twenty first this season or above, that will be the biggest achievement because not only has he had to turn around form, confidence, results, get the team playing. With uh, you know not the best squad in, in the world, you know a lot of a lot of aging players, but he's had to work with Transiri as well. Um, so I think if you can be a success while working with a man baby, I think yeah you are you are deserving of manager of the season. Yeah, anyone who manages to get on with Transiri in any way, shape, or form deserves a big bloody medal, don't they? Here's a question for you, Justin, and this is a I'm very intrigued to hear your answer to this. If Kieran McKenna gets Ipswich automatically promoted and Danny Rule keeps Wednesday up, who would be more deserving of manager of the season? Danny Rule. Oh, Danny Rule. I knew you were going to say that. That's a ridiculous opinion, Justin. Come on. Here we go. Here we go. It's that That's narrative. That's a ridiculous Ryan's shout. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because, because... Justin, look at the top four. Look who <sighs> Ipswich are up against. They've got three of the biggest budgets we've ever seen at championship level. And Ipswich will be going from League One to the Premier League. That's an unbelievable thing for you to say that anyone would deserve manager of the season more. No, Danny. If Danny Rawl keeps Sheffield Wednesday in this division, I will. I will drive his trophy to him himself, or a plaque, or a certificate. I don't know what they get. Mainly because any other season he would deserve manager of the season, but not against. If Kieran McKenna gets listen. it automatically promoted, that would be an outst- It'll be possibly the greatest achievement we've ever seen at Championship level. It is a, an incredible achievement. It is. It absolutely is. But, but, but Danny Rule, Danny Rule getting that Sheffield Wednesday team out of the bottom of three and keeping them <sighs> safe is a much bigger achievement. And I think a much more competitive championship down the league. So having to contend with the likes of Stoke, Huddersfield, Millwall, they've all spent money in the summer. Teams that are down there, Birmingham as well, they've all spent money in the summer. Not um, very well, though. 
Terribly, yeah, terribly. But Sheffield Wednesday haven't really spent anything, have they? Uh, they haven't. They've had to beg, borrow and steal players. They've had to move players around in the squad. They're currently you know, two players who are unregistered at the moment because Sheffield Wednesday are keeping their eye open on, on free agents. They've had to really, really navigate things. And that's that's been done whilst... You know, Darren Moore leaving on the eve of the season or pre-season then Esco Munoz coming in and being an absolute shit show of a manager I just think those variables add up more more so than the, the ones that uh, Kieran McKenna's done the Ipswich I am physically repulsed right now like, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about this anymore um, by the way have you seen that Sheffield Wednesday reportedly have a surprising fan in Germany striker Timo Werner he's said to be taking a big interest in Wednesday because his father-in-law Sasha Lenzer is part of their coaching staff I was hoping it was more to do with him being you know a fan of the underdog or something like that or better yet he used to watch them when he was younger with Marcus Tudgay up front but um, unfortunately it's Just- a very simple explanation just 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 Timo Werner shouting, come on Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> well, come on Wednesday that's my German accent I apologise that was good that was really good well done Justin <laughs> um, you've won me round a bit now after <laughs> pissing me off about five seconds ago and finally Andre Brighton writer won his first game in charge of Huddersfield they beat Watford 2-1 at Vicarage Road a great result for Brighton writer it's, it's always tricky isn't it Justin for a new manager particularly when they're coming from abroad and have no experience of the championship he even admitted after the game that it's very different to Germany and Switzerland but getting a winner at a mid-table side away as well is great and it's suddenly looking quite promising for Huddersfield isn't it they were hovering above the bottom three pretty much all season now a few wins an exciting new manager other teams around them faltering relegation seems quite a way off doesn't it by the way we need a nickname for Andre Brighton writer Justin we can't be saying Brighton writer every time we talk about him it's too much of a mouthful this is his name isn't it it is his name but I, I feel like we need the a- Dre the Dre Dre <laughs> <laughs> The Dre managing Huddersfield, yeah. Big I don't Dre. know if that's disrespectful or not, but I, I, like yeah, I think I think as well if he's if he's got a history. I also think I wanted to point out if he's got a history of overachieving. The fact that Danny Ward has scored a brace this weekend, I think, is is is, is absolute evidence that this man touches you know he turns things to gold yeah miracle worker um so this was the game that was first for one manager it could reported to be the last for another because Talksport is reporting valerie and ishmael is on the brink of the sack at watford they've got just one win from their last nine league games if it's true it's a huge blow for justin peach because of course you boldly predicted at the start of the season that he would last the entire campaign he's got two months left Two months, just see it out, see it out, Val. Take it to the corner, do whatever you need to do. Spend, have longer toilet breaks, just out of mind, out of sight, stay out of the way of the ownership. Um, in all seriousness, I think this would be an absolute, I wouldn't say travesty, but it just doesn't make sense to just keep doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for different results. Gino Pozzo is a madman, he's a madman for doing that uh, and wanting out the Watford owner. Um, and uh, you know, I will admit that things have dropped off a little bit in terms of performances, but I just don't think this Watford squad's built enough to um, sustain a playoff challenge I think the squads that are in around them have got bigger squads larger squads and bigger depth and I don't think I don't think um, Ishmael has got that not only that um, I think I, I read that um, uh, a commentator who was commentating on the game at the weekend said if Rajevic the Watford striker wasn't a footballer he'd be a plumber um, because he was he was he was that poor and that's exactly what the recruitment has been like over the past uh, couple of seasons just so unnecessarily mean isn't it but um, look Watford sacking a manager is not a surprise is it that's stating the obvious I suppose but we all hope that their hiring and firing ways were behind them but 
a leopard never changes its spots or a hornet never changes its stripes. I, I I don't know how I feel because there's two ways you could look at it. Is is Ishmael the right man to lead Watford in the long term? I don't think so. Is Ishmael doing so badly that he deserves to be sacked? Definitely not. This season could have gone a hell of a lot worse for Watford and Ishmael seems like he steadied the ship. So I think he deserves longer. Would it be a surprise if he went? Obviously not. This is Watford. No matter how hard they try, they simply can't help themselves. Um, let's do the polls. Justin, this is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who's winning the championship title? Nice, simple one. Leicester, Leeds or Ipswich? Southampton. Southampton, OK. Um, well, you said Leicester earlier, didn't you? I did, and I did, yeah. I also said Leicester. The listeners agree with us. 63% of people are still saying Leicester for now. 31% said Leeds. 6% said Ipswich. After three losses in four games, are Southampton's automatic promotion hopes over? Yes or no? I don't think they are. I'm going to put it on record. I don't think they are. But it's up against, the odds are very, very up against them. I... I'm more inclined to go, yes, they are. And I'm afraid we've got an EU referendum result here, ladies and gentlemen. 52% of people said no, their automatic promotion hopes are not over. 48% said yes. And finally, at its peak, which was the best animated TV show? Family Guy, Rick and Morty, The Simpsons, South Park. That's got to be The Simpsons. Yeah, I think at its peak, The Simpsons was one of the best TV shows ever made um, i was watching it i was watching it this morning actually which season uh i don't know it was it was sideshow bob reconciling with christy the clown while bart simpson tried to blow him up with a bomb okay then and um, <laughs> seems like i've heard that storyline many times um <laughs> any anything between season four and season eight is pure gold dust as far as i'm concerned um i think south park though is probably mm, better yeah. in terms of longevity yeah. anyway 52% of people said The Simpsons, 24% said Family Guy, 20% said South Park, 4% said Rick and Morty. Never really got Rick and Morty, so I'm not complaining about that at all. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin is going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if he would name, if he would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and I would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if I were to then say Weymouth, I would lose a life. So all I need to do is give all eight answers without losing all of my lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your Hateful Eights for either Justin and I to answer. Send them into secondtierpod at gmail.com and you could get a shout out the next time we do a hateful eight who's this from justin this one's from connor who wants you to name the last eight bold managers to manage (laughs) to manage in the championship now i've added some rules i've added some rules okay so you can't have managers who have had hair transplants under thinning their hairlines have got to be completely bold on top if they were to grow their hair out or what they've got left skullets count okay so if they were just bold on top and had hair the, on the sides and the, the back that counts the integrity of this quiz has gone <laughs> right to the shitter <laughs> I feel like I'm bringing it back with these specific rules um, so just is that okay with you are you okay with those rules um, how many lives yeah, I'm giving I'm giving you two lives and just a, a point out as well they have to be bold they can't have a grade one all over Okay, fine. They have to be bold I think they, they have to have lost their hair it's a trip to Turkey for these guys okay um, well, I'll start off by saying Enzo Maresca. Correct. Enzo Maresca is the, the top one. 
I wouldn't yes. say the top one, but he's the one <laughs> he that would is. come to mind first. He's the he's top the, baldy in the championship. He's the top one in multiple ways. Um, okay, fine. Um, I'm really struggling to think of bold managers now. Darren Moore, he's he's a slaphead. <laughs> Correct. Sorry for anyone who's bold, by the way. Uh, Ryan and I are on our way, so we're pointing that out. Um, but yes, Darren Moore is follically challenged. He is bold. He okay. is on this list. I'm just going through every manager now, and they've all got hair. Um, Alex Neal? Alex Neal is correct. He is bold. He's one of those managers who, if he was to grow his hair out, he would have a skullet. I um, enjoy how each (laughs) manager I bring up, you say, yes, he is bold. Um, (laughs) That's all there is to say, really, isn't it? Uh, I don't know how far back this list will go. Paul Warren? Paul Warren is correct. Yeah. Okay. Paul Warren is correct. He is a man who would have to wear a hat in the winter. <laughs> how how low down is Paul Warren on the list? He is second to last. So someone. So he's him. seventh. There's someone after him. There've been a few before him as well. No. no. Oh God! Now I'm struggling. Um, hmm. At Watford, how many managers do they've had? They've all had hair. <laughs> Bollocks. Yeah, it's, it's um, incredible. It's incredible. It's a, it's a Gino Pozzo variable. They have to have hair. I'm going to throw out a manager because I just genuinely can't remember whether they've got hair or not. I, I'm questioning it now. Ian Foster at Plymouth? <laughs> He's on this list. He is? He is. He is bold. Yeah, I, I could not remember if he had hair or not. And that's the that's the quandary I'm facing now. Um, how many have I got left, Justin? You've got three left. You've got three left. And you've still got two lives. So they give you two lives. I think you've got two yeah. lives. Luke Williams at Swansea. He's, he's a boldy, isn't he? Yeah, he's a shiny boldy as well. Like yeah. his hair really shines. Uh, his head, sorry. He really shines. So how many? I've got two left. Is that right? You've got two left. Two and left. What numbers are they? They are fifth and eighth. <laughs> fifth and eighth. Um, oh, God. This is, uh, this is really quite difficult. Darren Moore, Paul Warren, someone between them. S- someone between them. Alex Neal skews this list because he obviously left Sunderland last season as well. Yeah, I'm really struggling to go. Um, uh, Paul Ince, was he bold? He's not bold. No. He's not bold. No, no, he's not bold. He's got hair. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you can say, really. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> no, he has hair. <laughs> Um, no, I think I'm a might have to tap out here just in case. You've got one life, just throw a name out there. Yeah, I'm going through every single manager in my head, and unfortunately, they've all got hair. Um, so I'll randomly throw in Joe Edwards, but I'm pretty sure he had hair. No, he's he had a full head of hair. So you've fallen foul of Simon Grace's hate, hateful eight. Who, who uh, the manager's they? Michael Apperton. Oh, bloody hell, I would have never yeah. got him in a million Michael years. Michael Apperton and Tony Pulis. Tony Pulis is a man who would grow a scullet if he was to grow it out. And I think that the hard thing with Tony Pulis is man always wore a cap. I'm not sure if this is the best or worst quiz we've had on Simon Grayson's Hate for Ladies. This is the best one. This is <laughs> hands down my greatest work on this podcast. Um, thank you, Connor. Thank you for your thank you for your selection. But there you go. I've fallen far to Simon Grayson's Hate for Late. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast and what a cracking show it has been. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk about any championship news from the coming days. So we look forward to seeing you then. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.
Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.